What's going on, guys? So let's dive straight into the Sunday slate review of week 10. Uh, first game, and in this game, I actually, when I did my previews and predictions podcast on Friday, I think I did not, I forgot about this game. Let me just point blank, period. I actually, I didn't necessarily forget about it, but what I did do was I was reading off of the website I use for the, just when I'm looking at the spreads and the over-unders and things like that, and they didn't have this game up simply because I think Alex Smith or somebody had a COVID concern or something, didn't know who was playing, so the line was not available yet. So when I was looking at it, it wasn't there. So I apologize for that. I forgot this one. And I, I think the same thing happened with the Steelers game because of Big Ben Roethlisberger. So I apologize about not including those in that they will not be left out of future podcast prediction videos. So let's get straight into it. The Washington at Detroit. So Alex Smith, everybody's talking about it. His first start in 728 days and he played well. You know, completed almost 70% of his passes, almost 400 yards passing. And in typical Alex Smith fashion, didn't even have a touchdown pass in all those pass attempts. But he did lead his team back from a 24-3 deficit, and he tied the game with under a minute to go on the road in Detroit. So that was very impressive, and I'm, I'm sure his family, coaches, I mean, uh, coaching staff, and teammates are extremely impressed and proud of him, and, and they should be. I'm happy for Alex Smith. Antonio Gibson had two touchdowns, and um, but here's the sort of weird part is J.D. McKissick was still very much involved, had 15 targets, was targeted. Let me repeat, let me repeat that. Was targeted 15 times yesterday. Wow. I mean, that's, that's outrageous. It's like a 25% target market share or actually a little bit more than that. So I don't know, man. I think if it were me... I would give a little bit more of those targets to Antonio Gibson. He's a guy that literally played wide receiver in college. I know there's a rookie learning curve and all that stuff. I'm usually the one to kind of slow people down in, in that regard. But J.D. McKissick was not terribly effective with his targets. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad receiving back, but I just think, like, it's time, Ron. Let's give the let's pass the torch all the way to Antonio Gibson and just let him rock it, you know, but he did have two touchdowns. So for people that started him, you're not all that upset. Well, you're not upset at all. I mean, two scores is two scores. And, you know, overall, man, just a valiant effort for the comeback by the Washington football team. And just a, a question I'll present to frustrated Washington fans is uh, that, that want Dwayne Haskins on the field to at least see what they've gotten him is what do you think? Do you think, there's any chance Dwayne Haskins would have been able to lead this team back down 21 on the road like Alex Smith did. You know, when I objectively look at it, and remember, I was high on Haskins. He was my QB2 of that draft. Um, I liked him more than Kyler Murray. I liked him a lot, right? I liked him more than Daniel Jones. When I look at it just objectively, I don't think he would. You know, and I'm not to say, that's not to say that he he would never be a franchise quarterback. He still might be. But just at this particular moment, I'm just trying to, you know, provide a different perspective as to what Coach Rivera is thinking. He's trying to get the best player on the field. And that right now is Alex Smith, I would I would argue, especially with Kyle Allen who injured. And Kyle Allen was playing well. So I'm devastated for him that he got hurt. But, um, you know, I just think that that's something to really consider, like, could Dwayne Haskins have completed 70% of his passes in, on over 50 attempts, you know, almost 400 yards passing against a defense that's been playing better in uh, the Detroit Lions? So a big game for Stafford on the Lions side of it. Uh, one more thing. The 
Chase Young roughing the passer play was just, I feel for Chase Young, that is an awful mistake to make in that moment. And it honestly, obviously, it's not the reason they lost because you can go play that game with like a million other plays in the game and just like you could any game. But when it came down to it at that particular moment to make that roughing the passer penalty, if you guys didn't see it, it was not a controversial call. It was a dumb, just like, I'm just going to push Stafford over because I feel like it way after the play. It was a dumb play, and it led to the game losing field goal attempt from 59 yards out, and Matt Prater hits it. So a big, big error that cost them the game and what it would have otherwise been. I mean, if it goes to overtime, you'd have to say Washington's the favorite at least, right? Like at least a slight favorite to win that game with all the momentum and all that stuff. So it's a very um, troubling play. I'm sure Chase Young can get over it, but that just sucks. And Matt Stafford, you know, he's he's clutch, man. What can you say? He he still had to push them down the field a little bit, at least. And he did that. He was playing with a banged up thumb in some regard. I don't remember what I, it's. So there's something wrong with his thumb, but it's banged up. He just played with it like a champion, like he always does. He's he's a warrior willing to play injured. And, you know, he, he had three touchdowns against a very good Washington defense. So I thought the Washington defense would get after him more than they did. Um, but they really couldn't get to him a whole lot. And the DeAndre Swift factor was there. So a few weeks ago, DeAndre Swift was on my fantasy by low list. And that's why, because I knew this game was coming. I knew it was coming at some point, uh, career high in touches with 21 for 149 yards and a touchdown. So I thought you might be able to still buy him quote unquote low after what he did in Jacksonville and you probably could have, especially after an underwhelming week the following week. And now this one, this game probably puts his price tag a little bit higher, even to an owner that's still not all that confident in him. They're, they're going to want a little bit more for him after this kind of performance. So that kind of sucks. But for Washington, uh, I'm excited to see how Alex Smith plays moving forward. I do believe, though, if if here's what I think the plan is for Dwayne Haskins. Let's say the Washington football team with four or five weeks left to play, or let's say four weeks left to play, is completely out of it, right? Like they're, they're out of their division race, which believe it or not, they're still not all the way out of. Like the way that NFC East is in the way with the Giants beating the Eagles yesterday, the Washington football team is not out of it. So it's not, you know, this is actually still a relevant statement. If they're out of it with four weeks to go or three weeks to go, I think then maybe you'll see Ron go to Dwayne Haskins and he'll probably say like we need to see what we have one last time because even if he's made up his mind and and he doesn't want to play Haskins uh, moving forward next year if you put him on the field for the last three games and and he flashes in any way maybe then it'll upgrade his trade value but for him to be just benched right now and Alex Smith be playing and even in very meaningless games if it comes to that down the stretch I think that really hurts his trade value, which Ron may not care about. And in all honesty, he doesn't have to care about it because it's not like, well, number one, Ron wasn't there when they picked Haskins. Number two, it's not like they, you know, they traded future assets for him. They just sat at 15 and if he made it to him, they, they took him and that's what happened. So it's not like they're super invested into him the way teams typically would be in a first round quarterback because he wasn't a top five pick. You know, like even Daniel Jones, 
that was a, the sixth overall pick. So in that in that case, the Giants are a little bit more invested in him. And of course, even with the new head coach, you still have Dave Gettleman there, the guy that drafted Daniel Jones, and you have no viable backup. So for them, it obviously makes sense. And also Jones, let's be fair, he's played much better than Haskins. He's shown many more flashes. So that's that's uh, just something to acknowledge there. But that's kind of just my thoughts on what will happen with um, Dwayne Haskins moving forward. If let's say Washington doesn't win another game until three games left, I think I think then we'll see Dwayne. But it, it depends because Ron also is trying to balance the present and the future, right? He's trying to build a winning culture in Washington. So he's not trying to, you know, he doesn't really care about the investment, like I was saying. So you know, it, it just depends on how Dwayne's practicing. A lot of different things will fall into that, but I think that we will probably see him towards the end of the season just because you have to you have to factor in the business side of it a little bit but but I think Ron absolutely does not want that to infect his locker room with a with a sort of tanking type of vibe he does I know he doesn't want that so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but I think that's pretty much the only chance Dwayne has to get back on the field in Washington so all right and look for the Lions they play the Panthers next week I'm excited to see well I hope Safford plays first of all and I hope Teddy plays on the other side and I'm excited to see if they can actually win another game and and put together a decent stretch of wins right like whether they lost to the Colts but if they win again next week that's a big um you know kind of confidence booster and it keeps them alive so they have to win it's going to be in Carolina against the Carolina team that is going to compete and is going to be desperate for a win I think if they lose that'd be six in a row so Matt Rule and them are not going to want to they're not going to take that line down so I'm interested to see that game moving forward next week and uh yeah so now moving on to the Texans Browns game who the hell saw this like what was it 13 to 7 or something is crazy I, I definitely wasn't expecting that uh, I was very impressed with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the combination of 38 carries for 240 yards and a touchdown. And Chubb, next time, brother, score your touchdown, man. It's, that was not the same scenario as the Todd Gurley touchdown a few weeks ago. So, anyways, it's cool that they still won. I was when when that first happened, I was like, oh man, like that's like that's not cool. Because if they would have had, let's say, two timeouts, then it would have been. I'm not even sure. It, it it just don't do that, right? Like. In, if your coaches don't want you to score, they'll tell you ahead of time. You know, maybe they told him that. Who knows? But either way, it worked out for Cleveland. Baker didn't play necessarily all that well, but hey, Cleveland ran the ball 41 times and Baker threw it 20. So it's not like he had to, you know, drop back and pass a whole bunch. So maybe he would have played better given the opportunities. And, you know, Deshaun Watson, look, at some point, with Deshaun Watson, we have to stop making excuses for him, right? Like he didn't play very well. He's a great player. And, you know, I mean, he, he really is. He's a great player. But I think that we need to be careful of falling into this trap of like, everything is just poor Deshaun Watson and he never does any wrong. Like, look, his team has only won two games and they've both been against the Jaguars. That doesn't mean that he's playing out of his mind. Now, I understand entering yesterday's game, he went in there throwing 13 touchdowns his last uh, to two interceptions over his last, what, four games. But it, he didn't play well yesterday and we can't sit here and act like he did. Okay. We can't, we can't continue to victimize him. So does he need more help? Absolutely. You know, did it, does it really just suck seeing Deandre Hopkins over in Arizona making the catch he made and Watson being without, you know, that kind of elite receiver. Yeah. That's, that's awful. Is his, is his offensive line good? No, but 
we cannot ignore the fact that he played poorly. 20 of 30, 163 yards, one touchdown. And uh, that's just not good enough, you know, especially in a game where your defense gave you a chance to win. I mean, you cannot say that like, oh, look at my defense. No, that you were right there. You were right there. So um, and also in, in regards to Cleveland's defense, I do and I have believed really for most of the season that their defense is better than what they've shown lately. And I'm glad that they were able to kind of, you know, but build hopefully that builds some confidence within that unit moving forward, because if they can get the defense rolling and then they've got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt combination that's going to go for 200 plus yards at damn near every week. Now you're looking at a team that's that's uh, got the winning formula, especially if Baker conti- can continue to not make mistakes. I think that's very that's a winning formula, as we saw in New England last night. All right, Jaguars-Packers game. Aaron Rodgers, um, he struggled at times yesterday against the Jags. I mean, the Jags almost won that game. They had the ball almost at midfield with um, with about a minute or so to go, so that it, it was close, right? And if you take away the 78-yard Rodgers touchdown pass to Marvez Scantling, and I know we can't take that away, and it obviously should count. That's not my point. My point is to try and be – developing more predictive measure moving forward if you just look at that you say well you know because because easily the comeback is like well Rodgers had 300 yards and you know three touchdowns or whatever it was or two touchdowns I guess <clears throat> but if you look at what he did for 95 percent of the game he was 23 of 33 247 yards one touchdown one pick so it's not like he was out there as the Aaron Rodgers that we've seen over the first, what, three, four games, I think it was. So that part of it should, it's sort of like he's reverting a little bit back to the Aaron Rodgers of the last couple of years, as opposed to how over the first four games, he was Aaron Rodgers, and and at the Texans game after that too, he was Aaron Rodgers of of MVP seasons. And, and yesterday was kind of a mixed bag in that regard. Aaron Jones, what the hell is going on? Why Number one, why are they not using him? Like they're not using as much as they should be. Jacksonville entering that game had a defense that was like bottom five, maybe to bottom seven overall run defense in the NFL. And Jones only has 13 carries. He also, Aaron Jones has one game with 100 plus rushing yards this season. So that's that's sort of a bummer. I know he was using the passing game, and I get that, but I saw way too much Jamal Williams from for Jamal Williams for my liking yesterday. On the other side of the coin, they got the Jaguars and James Robinson, twenty three carries for one hundred nine yards, and he had two touchdowns called back. He's on my fantasy team, so that hurt my soul. But that literally on two separate drives, he had a touchdown, a really nice touchdown run that was called back due to a holding that probably had nothing to do with the play. So. Um, no other running back had a carry in Jacksonville. So for all you Chris Thompson truthers that were, that were, you know, barking up that tree during the off season, you know, laugh out loud. That's all I'll say. Jake Luton, my guy, he struggled that that was unfortunate to watch him just, you know, just really couldn't get anything going. Missed Chark on a deep ball earlier in the game that could have really, uh, in, impacted the the outcome of the game and and yeah so that that was unfortunate but on the defensive side of the ball my guy CJ Henderson he he battled with Devontae Adams I was pretty impressed he even forced a fumble against him he he had his moments I mean he's to me I still think that there's a real chance that he's going to be a better player in three years than Jalen Ramsey will and if he is then that that's a huge win for the future of this team. You know, just hopefully that will work out for them and and he stays healthy and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, that's I think that's a uh, just something to think about in terms of optimism if you're a Jags fan. 
All right. Speaking of optimism, the New York football Giants uh, fans should feel optimistic. A big win against Philly, 27-17. And yeah, they are alive. So if you look at that game, if you're watching it, it felt for a moment there like it was going to be a repeat of what happened a few Thursdays ago. Um, it was the Giants had like a 10-point lead, the Eagles score, and it was just kind of like, whoa, you felt it sort of start, starting to slip away, and then the Giants answered and got another touchdown on the back of the second Wayne Gallman score, and that was just a, a good moment because that's the kind of – those are the kinds of things you have to do in order to win close games and develop into a good team. So a young Giants team was able to respond, go down and score a touchdown. Daniel Jones had probably his best game of the year, 21 of 28, 244 yards, and he also led them in rushing yards with 64 on touchdowns. So that was very impressive. I think we need to see more of Jones running the ball moving forward. He's just he's a good runner. You know, it's weird. He's not, you know, this known as this dynamic athlete, but he's a guy that you know, he needs to run more because he's effective at it. He just, he gets north and south quickly and he's got enough speed to, to make you pay, obviously, as evidenced by the last time he played Philly with that 90 yard run and it didn't go for a touchdown somehow. But hey, Giants fans should feel excited, man. The, the defense played very well. Carson Wentz struggled. He was, uh, you know, completed under 50% of his passes, didn't, didn't, do much you know he really struggled to get things going James Bradbury looked great Leonard Williams is playing very well and here's the thing about the Eagles and what really would frustrate me if I were an Eagles fan Miles Sanders and Boston Scott combined for 18 carries which is not a lot right uh, 18 carries for 148 yards and a touchdown they um <clears throat> excuse me they had that so it's over 8.2 yards per carry why would you drop Carson Wentz back to pass more than double what you would give those guys the ball? Like it's working. You know what I mean? Keep running the damn ball. I don't understand the obsession with forcing the issue with Carson Wentz when you don't have to, because your running backs are running really well, right? Like Boston Scott is becoming, you know, I really thought when I saw that run, like, is this guy, am I going to have to start calling him Boston, the giant killer Scott, because uh, he's a little dude, but man, he, he shows up against the giants, but Good thing for New York fans. They held on. And right now you're a game and a half back of the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC East. So I don't know who the Eagles play next week off the top of my head here. But if the Eagles lose next week and the Giants are on their bye week right now or this week, you, you're a half a game out. You know what I mean? So that's that's uh, or what would you be a game out, I guess? So that's that's obviously the Giants are right in the thick of it. You know, make fun of it all you want. But you make the playoffs as a division winner. You nobody's getting fired, right? Dave Gettleman's not going anywhere, which I don't think. And I also want to bring this up to you guys. Dave Gettleman, pretty much everybody has determined that he's fired after this season, right? If the Giants continue to struggle, Dave Gettleman's supposed to be fired after this season. When you look at what's going on in Arizona right now, I, I ask you, Steve Kime, if you compare what Steve Kime has done in terms of who he's, who he's added to that team and how his drafts have went, et cetera, and you look at that and you and then you consider that he traded up for Josh Rosen and then the very next year fired a coach after one year and drafted a brand new quarterback and then shipped Josh Rosen out of town for a second round pick. When you look at all that, how did he not get fired? But you expect Dave Gettleman to get fired because if you look at what Gettleman's done, he took over an awful team. I mean, what did they win two games the year before he got there? And he literally has rebuilt 95 percent of the roster. Drafted a potential franchise quarterback, drafted a great young running back in Saquon Barkley. 
you know, and now if you look at what's going on, you're, you're with a new coach, no less, you're starting to see the fruits of the, of this labor starting to pay off. So if I, I present to you, why would the giants or why should the giants, if you didn't believe that Steve Kime should be fired, then I, in my opinion, Dave Gettleman should not be fired either. So that's just how I look at that. You know, we can talk about it if you like hit me in the DMs. All right. Buccaneers at Panthers. The Tampa came out and scored 46 points on the road. And to be honest with you, I still felt that their offense was relatively inconsistent. Antonio Brown, fantasy owners and fans should feel very encouraged and optimistic moving forward. He's obviously a big part of this offense's plans from here on out, really. Like, you have to think, this guy's not even in football shape yet, right? And he came in and I mean, last week he had, what, three or four catches, and now this week he's, he's basically doubled that. He had he had a run, and then he had seven catches on eight targets. So he's a guy that, like I said, not even in football shape yet, but he's clearly up to the task and ready to roll. And Brady, I, Brady, I know he felt horrible because he missed him on what would have been a 50-plus yard touchdown in the first half of that game, and Brown beat Deontay, uh, Dante Jackson, and it would have been a long touchdown. So imagine what that would have done for his stat line, right? Seven for 69 would have went from, would have went to eight for like 110 in touchdown, you know? So um, Antonio Brown, to me, when you look at, especially it's weird, Mike Evans is not playing well right now. And I don't exactly know why, you know, I, I, it just seems like to me, he's making kind of some mistakes in, in terms of just really how he's running his routes and things like that. And he's just not playing all that well. So to me, Chris Godwin, is a you know that kind of big slot receiver type of guy to me antonio brown could really be their number one receiver at some point or at least you know at least as the season progresses he could kind of be that one or even the one b in terms of just because i think what we're going to see from evans is lower volume but a big red zone target and big play guy right he's going to have some games where he's got two catches for 20 yards and he's going to have other games where he's got six for 150 and two touchdowns. And I think with Antonio Brown and Godwin, you're getting a more consistently reliable target. So I think that, um, look, Antonio Brown can do it all, man. He's, he's still, if you guys have heard me talk about this before, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it brief, but to me, he's still probably the best receiver in football right now. So just take it for what you will. But Ronald Jones, let's talk about him. 140 plus yards with a 98 yard touchdown run. Um, he honestly, the Bucks were actually struggling to run the ball, excuse me, and then Rojo kind of got loose, you know, on that big play, and then on some other plays too. But but um, yeah, so the Buccaneers' offense, like I said, was still somewhat inconsistent, but they they somehow found their way to forty six points. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they allowed Teddy to score two touchdowns early. Teddy Bridgewater was thirteen of thirteen to start this game off, one hundred and six yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He finished. So after that, he went 5 of 11 for 30 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick. He only had one completion that was of seven yards or further over his final 14 pass attempts. So he really, after a nice start, really got clamped down on. And Carolina, in my opinion, cannot abandon the run the way they did, especially when you consider, even if they're, even if they're facing a great run defense like Tampa Bay is, I just think that you need to – you don't have the kind of quarterback, no offense to Teddy, that you can just say, all right, we're going to we're gonna just out-duel you with Teddy Bridgewater. Like Mike Davis had seven carries for 32 yards, and then Curtis Samuel had three carries. Um, time of possession, Carolina lost at 36-24. to 24. 
They lost the turnover battle by one. And when it comes to third downs, which the announcers were rightfully talking about a lot, the Buccaneers completed 62% and Panthers 11%. And when you look, they got outran 210 to 65. And when you get outran like that, more than almost triple or no, more than triple, and you get crushed on third down and you lose a turnover battle, what do you think is going to happen, especially against a superior team? So they're honestly lucky it wasn't even a bigger bashing of a victory for Tampa. But, you know, overall, though, there are don't get me wrong. I'm a Panther fan. So in this one, I'm a little bit more harsh because uh, I'm frustrated. But when you look at it just in terms of the future and, and places to be optimistic, I think Carolina fans like myself should be excited moving forward. There are some good things to look at, but just third downs killing them and you know, the, they, the run defense is still obviously an issue, even though they, they're they not consistently getting beat. So that's something to be optimistic about. But, hey, I'm really looking forward to Carolina-Detroit next week. I think the Panthers are going to come out, and that's, that's going to be a hell of a game, I think. So that's interesting, and I'm very much looking forward to Tampa against the Rams next week. Huge NFC game. All right, Broncos-Raiders. Talk about disappointment. I thought this was potentially a game where Drew Locke was going to be able to put together four quarters of good football. He was not available. He was not available yesterday. He completed 23 of 47, 257 yards, one touchdown, four picks. So on one side of it, you could say, hey, maybe you're just underestimating the Raiders' defense. They've now allowed just 42 points over the last three games. You know, maybe the Raiders' defense is actually decent, right? And on the other side of it, it's like, yeah, they are, but they're not that good, right? Like Drew Locke should not be completing under 50% of his passes and throwing four interceptions, right? That's just, there's a balance there, but we could find a happy medium and be okay with, but we cannot, we cannot justify or make excuses for Drew Locke in, in this game, especially in a division game. There should have been able, he, he's hurting them more than he's helping him at this point. So he's got to play better. He has to play better and he has to play better soon because they're not going to have the, the, a ton of patience with him. All right. Derek Carr, to me, you know, again, wasn't a statistical bombshell of a game by Derek Carr. And this is actually now his third consecutive game with fewer than 200 passing yards. He had 111, 165, 154. Um, and in two of, th- two, of the, two of three of those games, he completed uh, less than seven yards per pass attempt. But, and this is where, this is where the whole like, oh, you have to pass the ball to win games. But the Raiders are three and zero in those games. So in games where Derek Carr is under two hundred yards passing, they're undefeated this year. So and and Derek Carr has not thrown an interception in those games either. That's the other part of that thing is it, you have to be able to also not turn the ball over. He's lost one fumble, but has zero interceptions in that time. So Josh Jacobs finally had the big game we were waiting for. 21 carries for 112 yards and two touchdowns. He also had four catches for 24 yards. And that's three straight games now with Jacobs having more, averaging more than higher than four yards per carry in each game. So he was on my buy low list in fantasy a few weeks ago as well. So good to see that panning out for those of you that were able to pull that off. Um, and as far as Drew Locke goes, let me just touch on him one more time. Look, I'm not ready to give up on him by any means, but I'm I'm also much less optimistic than I was. You know, he was playing; he played pretty well last year down the stretch. And I've seen even in the Patriots game, I thought he had moments where he played really well. So I know that he threw those two bad picks at the end, but he's 
he's got to play better and it's got to happen quickly. And then as far as the Raiders go moving forward, I'm very much excited for the Raiders chiefs game next week. The Raiders beat Kansas city the first time they played them um, in Kansas city. So this is a game in LA or, or I'm sorry, in Vegas. And the Raiders are pretty significant underdogs. I think they're underdogs by more than a touchdown as of right now. That'll probably change quite a bit, but um, that's very interesting because the Raiders actually match up relatively well with the Chiefs. And that was the last game where Derek Carr had kind of a big game passing over 300 yards. So very interested to see how that one plays out this week coming up. All right, Buffalo Bills and the Arizona Cardinals. So this game, we all know the finish, right? But that game had a crazy second half in general. Just the whole second half was nuts. Like the Bills defense really kept them in firm control of the game over the first half where they kept holding the Cardinals to a field goal. I mean, they held them to four field goals in total for the game. So they um, they did, you know, obviously did their part. And then all of a sudden in a flurry, and, and really it was aided by the Bills offense making mistakes, the Cardinals defense take advantage of those mistakes and putting the Cardinals offense in position to have good field position and things like that. So it was kind of like, the Buffalo defense was bending but not breaking, and then they just got to the point where it was like, all right, we are tired, and now we're starting to break a little bit. But then they kind of rebounded, and then, of course, that last play happened. So it was a pretty crazy game. Um, but when you look at it, as if you're a Bills fan, here's what I would think. And I'm, I'm sort of a Bills fan because they have so many former Panthers there. But when I look at them, I think the defense is getting better, and Josh Allen – is actually playing well again. But on the flip side of that, they are getting literally nothing from their running backs. And these two guys are two guys I really like, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. They're getting nothing. And at least from a from running the ball from a running the ball standpoint, like they they got from those two guys a combined 11 carries for 35 yards. That's just awful. Number 1, number 2, the coaching staff has to give them more more carries. You know, I don't care like what the reasoning is, honestly, you have to give them more carries than that. Josh Allen threw the ball 49 times. Moss and Singletary attempted 11 runs. You know, this Arizona ran 35 times for 217 yards and two touchdowns. And they did it with with Edmonds. Um, Drake led the way, actually had 100 yards on 16 carries. Drake, Edmonds, and Kyler Murray. So Josh Allen is is being asked to do an awful lot right now. And I think that ultimately, if you can't get more from your running backs, that will probably be the death of these 2020 bills, in, in my opinion. But from on some positives, like I said, the defense played well and the defense for Buffalo has been playing better as of late. They kind of unraveled there in the second half at, at times. And then obviously the, the crazy play at the end, the, the Hale Murray, quote unquote, Hale Murray. But if you take that Hale Murray away, which of course we cannot do in real life, but just for a little further context, we can do, and we will right now. Kyler was 21 of 31 for 202 yards at 6.5 yards per attempt with zero touchdown passes, one interception. So once again, when you, when you really look at it and, and kind of get into it a little bit more detail, Kyler struggled at, in terms of just passing the ball against this Bills defense. So that part of it, should you should feel optimistic as a Bills fan. And honestly, I thought that Tredavious White did a pretty good job against DeAndre Hopkins for, for a large part of that game. But obviously, the, the Hale Murray play, which really we need to somehow figure out how to get Watkins' name, I'm sorry, um, DeAndre Hopkins' name into that because he made, in my opinion, that was the greatest catch I've ever seen 
in my life. Like, especially when you consider the circumstances to literally win the game. And it wasn't a halftime. It was, it was to win the game. So the, the Buffalo Bills defense on that play was actually, in my opinion, they played everything perfectly. Do you know, if you go back and watch that play, watch how hard it was for Kyler Murray to even break contain. Like he had to pull some shit to even get outside of the pocket because they were prepared. And then they had three guys on Hopkins as if to say like, all right, we're going to eliminate Hopkins by literally triple teaming him. We're going to force Kyler to go somewhere else with it. Well, that they were in perfect position on both of those things. It's just that Hopkins made an absolutely ridiculous catch. It made me think like, what could they have done better? And I don't know that they could have done much better except for maybe just tackle Hopkins. And in that case, like, obviously this is just hindsight. I'm not being serious, but if they tackled him or if they somehow were just like realized that he had a better chance than them at the last second, maybe you just, you just pass interfere and hope that you can come up with a stop in that moment. So I'm not saying that's what they should have done. Let me be clear, but I'm just saying like, you know, I don't know, man, that, that was wild. So it's just a, it's maybe it would have worked out differently if that had happened, but look, you've got three of your defensive backs there and was a pretty good secondary in Buffalo, including Tredavious white first team, all pro kind of caliber player and Hopkins just goes up and gets it over all three guys. So that's, that's insane. But I think the bills probably deserve to win. And if you want just one more thing, one more reason to, to be optimistic for it, for Bills fans, you look at the wide receiver trio, and now I hope John Brown is okay. I'm not sure he will be. That looked like a pretty bad injury. But the trio of Diggs, Brown, and Beasley went for 27 catches for 274 yards and two touchdowns. So um, Gabriel Davis, I thought that he could have come back to the football on that interception a little a little harder. But you know, I'm not I'm not blaming him. But I just think that's the kind of thing you lose when you when you have to start a fourth round rookie in place of someone like John Brown, you, you lose the sort of um, the little things like that, the sort of veteran things that that uh, vet receivers can bring to the table. So I hope John Brown is okay because I started him in DFS and he was playing well. And then that injury happened on a catch that I thought was unbelievable. I thought that was that catch. If you guys didn't see it, it was negated due to a holding penalty. So he would have had over a hundred yards, even though he left early, but this man went up and snagged it and then came down very awkwardly on that knee so i hope he's all right but um great win for the cardinals kyler murray as a runner is absolutely lethal like i watched a lot of his tape pre-draft and i obviously knew he was a good runner but i gotta be honest i didn't think he was going to be this dangerous in terms of being able like i just thought that he would get hurt too much because i saw him many a times at um oklahoma Instead of running out of bounds, I saw him cut back to the in the middle of the field, kind of go against the grain and try to extend plays. And I just thought that he's going to get crushed on one of those plays um, because he he doesn't have that kind of thing that Russell Wilson has, where it's just like, all right, I got to get down now. Well, Kyler doesn't. Kyler does have that at the NFL level. He is very smart as a runner, and he is unbelievably quick and just has the quickest feet and and just good vision in burst and he's just a really good runner so overall i'm not excited about him as a passer right now i think he's average but i think that obviously he has moments where he's well above average don't get me wrong but i think that overall is just a playmaker at the quarterback position the guy is amongst the best in the nfl right now he's playing at a very high level it's just that i would really like to see him get better as a passer we have a huge game if you're a cardinals fan next week you go at seattle so we get to 
us neutral fans, we get to enjoy that one again. We'll have our popcorn ready for that one. And Buffalo is entering a bye week, and I think it's all right. You know, the, the defense is playing better. The run defense is still getting gashed. Like I said, but, uh, Arizona, 217 yards on the ground. And Edmonds and Drake, Drake had 100. Drake finally had a good game on the ground pretty much consistent good game instead of just one big long carry like he had against the Cowboys. And then Edmonds played well as well in like eight carries, 56 yards, I think. So, um, all right, moving on chargers at dolphins. Everybody is like at my throat with this. Uh, people are literally DMing me saying Tua is better than Herbert right now. It's wild. Um, but look, I'm going to give Tua his props before I get realistic about it. Tua was good yesterday. He was his explosive into his drops. Like he is, the reason why he really is a perfect fit for this offense is because of how quick and explosive he is into his drops and into the play action. Like he's able to sell those play actions very well and get outside. And the way he's moving, his mobility is very impressive. His uh, accuracy is overall very impressive and his release is very quick. He looks like the two at Alabama and, um, yeah, he, he looks very comfortable in this offense. Yesterday, he was 15 of 25, so that's 60% completion percentage. And he averaged 6.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no picks. So he was solid, man. He was a, he was good, right? He wasn't Justin Herbert, but he was good. And I'm not talking about Justin Herbert yesterday. I'm talking about the overall season-long body of work that Justin Herbert has consistently put up has been more impressive, although Herbert did struggle very much yesterday against a very good Dolphins defense. Look, the Dolphins' defense was after his ass. Like, as soon as he hit his back foot, it was trouble. And why? It was mainly because this Chargers offense decided that the first down runs were just going to be what they were going to do. Like, we're going to run the ball up the middle on first down. And Kalen Balazs played very well yesterday. And Kelly had his moments as well. But look, man, when you, when you become that predictable and you're just like, we're going to run it on every single first down, what happens is when, the, when you don't gain any positive yards – and then you put, and then you put your your quarterback in a position where it's second and 10, second and 9, second and 12 or whatever and he throws an incomplete pass now like now you're in third and long against a team that is going to come after your ass and on third and longs like that third and 10 plus Herbert's legs aren't going to get it done for a first down in most situations especially with how fast Miami was was getting home I mean when this dude when his back foot touched the ground to get to his the, the top of his drop back, his back foot touched the ground. He was surrounded. So it was very good defensive effort from Miami. Um, they really bounced back well from the Arizona game because they obviously they had a very hard time with Arizona's offense the previous week. So very, uh, very nice bounce back game for them. Kenneth Murray played well all game long, but he had a ball with that would have been an easy interception literally go right through his hands and into the hands of, I believe it was Mike Gesicki. So it went from what would have been a game-changing interception, in my opinion, to it goes right through his hands. So he doesn't even, that's not like he bats it down and drops it. A dropped interception there would have been huge play, considering that it went through his hands and right into the hands of Mike Gesicki for a big, like, 15-plus yard gain. So that was huge. Um, I thought the Chargers defense played much better in the second half of that game. I thought the... Um, the offense kind of started to get they, they they stole the momentum around the late third quarter early fourth quarter part of the game and then they just kind of the they just kind of gave it back unfortunately so 
Uh, I thought Chargers were going to win that game. I thought they would finally come out on the right side of a close game. But give Miami credit, man. That defense is awesome. Tua looks very good. The uh, kid, Salvan Ahmed from Washington, undrafted rookie free agent, 21 carries, 85 yards. And it's not, it's beyond the stats. The stats don't even say, like, that's, that says it was an okay performance. It was a great performance by this kid. He was very agile. He was very shifty. He was, he was accelerated very quickly. Good burst, good vision. He played well. He played really well. And I, I think he has a role moving forward, honestly, because they're, they're not. <clears throat> necessarily loaded in terms of running back depth so i like this kid i think he'll have a role moving forward and he'll probably be on my waiver wire pickups for week 11 so anyways like i said good game miami um the patriots are still hanging in there but the bills lost so miami wins are six and three buffalo is now seven and two and we'll see what happens as we move forward but i can't wait for game two between miami and buffalo i'll tell you that much all right Bengals at the steelers so pittsburgh is clearly getting a little bit tired of the disrespect they're getting a little bit tired of hearing the worst seven and team the worst five and team the worst six and team it's like really now they're nine and oh you know that means over half of the season has went by and they haven't lost Ben Roethlisberger had 333 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. On the season now, he has 22 touchdown passes to four interceptions. He has thrown zero interceptions in seven of his nine games. Right. So I'm surprised the Steelers didn't run the ball more. Now, granted, Ben only completed 58.7% of his passes yesterday. So, you know, if you want to look for a place that you can knock him, I guess completion percentage is one. But um, I'm surprised they didn't run the ball more. They were just like, I mean, been through it 46 times in a blowout win. So it's very interesting. I think they were just like, honestly, wanted to blow them out. I don't think they were satisfied with winning yesterday. It was one of those Steeler games where it was just like, we're going to be aggressive from start to finish. And we're going to dominate these dudes because we are sick and tired of hearing how we are the worst, you know, undefeated team. It's been a month now, at least of them being the quote unquote worst undefeated team in the NFL. So imagine that, but yeah, Pittsburgh dominates Burrow 21 of 40. Didn't have, you know, had pretty rough game. Deontay Johnson for Pittsburgh, another big game, six catches on 11 targets for 116 yards and a touchdown. Then you got Juju Smith Schuster had nine catches on 13 targets for 77 yards and a touchdown. And then Claypool had four for 56 and two touchdowns. So you look that, that receiving core, that trio, is very impressive and uh juju over his last four games is basically averaging I'm, I'm slightly rounding up here but eight catches 80 yards and a touchdown every other game so 36 10 dominant division win for the still undefeated and still undefeated pittsburgh steelers so it's a very impressive win and for any of those who were wondering if they would cover well let's just say they covered <laughs> all right seattle seahawks and the la rams so look man I told you guys, I tried to tell you at least, that this Rams defense was good. I predicted they'd win the game 27 to 24. They held Seattle to 16 points. Wow. And Seattle hit that field goal late in the game. So 23-16 win from the Rams. They only allowed three points in the second half. Russell Wilson, it's it's fair to say now that he is officially struggling, right? 248 yards yesterday, zero touchdowns, two picks, and he lost a fumble. So that's three turnovers to zero touchdowns. And I'm sorry for all those that I, I told to start DJ Dallas. It wasn't that many of you that I did, but it it came out of my mouth. So two carries in the game. He also had two catches for like 23 yards, but that's very 
that's very disturbing. I don't know. Anthony or Alex Collins comes up from the practice squad and just takes his job. So wild thing to see. Um, but look, this Rams defense, aside from them just being a good defense generally, because they are, they are also a difficult matchup for Seattle. You know, Jalen Ramsey to deal with DK Metcalf is kind of the perfect body type and skill set to really give Metcalf a hard time. And that's evidenced by DK having just two catches for 28 yards. But when you look at it, man, the Rams, in terms of just offense and defense, they can stop the run. They're they're going to give you hill in terms of how they cover the pass. And then offensively, they're balanced. They have a running back by committee approach, especially this week with, uh, I mean, it was basically Akers, Brown, and um, Daryl Henderson, who I think is their best running back. But I guess they, they want to use the, the committee approach and and on the in the receiving game in the passing game they have several receivers and, and just they're even getting Gerald Everett their second tight end involved in the passing game so they are a team that um really has the best way to describe the the Los Angeles Rams right now is balanced like they are balanced in every way on both sides of the ball and Sean McVay I saw this stat yesterday is now 31 and 0 when leading at halftime so that's uh Pretty crazy, and I think there was another stat saying they the Rams have only allowed, I think three points in each of the like last so many games, so, some amount of games in the second half. So they're not allowing second half points, and they did that against the Seahawks. So that's very, very impressive, and I can't wait to watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Rams next week, and I cannot also wait to watch the Arizona Cardinals and Seattle Seahawks. So um, very interesting and a big win for the Rams. If if Arizona would have lost then the Rams would have been in first place. Now Arizona's in first place. So the NFC West is completely up for grabs, at least between those three teams. All right, speaking of the NFC West, we have the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. So entering this game, I said it was a bad matchup for the 49ers because the Saints had the second-best run defense in the NFL, and San Francisco, obviously, their main the way they really want to hurt you is on the ground as an offense. So yesterday they were held to 25 carries for 49 yards. Obviously that's not what you like to see. Unfortunately for Jermichael Hasty owners, it seems that he has either, maybe he's lost some trust in the coaching staff, or maybe they just wanted to give McKinnon the ball more in this game, but Hasty's really wasn't very involved in this one. So Brandon Ayuk though, from a positive note, one of quote unquote, my guys from this past draft class was, uh, Hey, he's the truth, man. He's seven catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. He was targeted like 14 times. So they were like force feeding in the ball, which is totally fine because when he gets it, he knows what to do with it. And then the other first round rookie for San Francisco, Javon Kinlaw had one and a half sacks yesterday. So good productive uh, day for the two first round picks for the 49ers on one on offense, one on defense. And in this game, look, both defenses really dominated the game. It was just the saints made big plays when they needed to, and they did it into one with special teams. I mean, they had a couple of drives that led to scoring drives that started on the San Francisco 21 and 25 yard line. So that's, crucial you know and, and especially with in an off in a game where your offense is struggling against the good san francisco defense to get your other parts of your team to make plays like that and to kind of keep you around and keep you in it is obviously that's big and that's what successful teams do and the saints now are, have won six games in a row and when you look at the run they've been on over the last few years they've just shown that they are resilient, they are well-coached, and they are just – they are winners. You know, maybe they've had their struggles in the playoffs. I get that, but they're winners. And the 49ers, from their standpoint, look, 
they can't make mistakes and still win games, especially against good teams like that and on the road, right? Like they're too injured and they're just the, the level of talent that's on that football field for them right now is at a disadvantage. So they, they cannot afford to make mistakes and still win. And they're the ones that made the mistakes, unfortunately. So they, they caught the L in this one, but they did hang tougher than I thought than um, the spread indicated. They you know, and I thought that um, that's kind of what I was expecting too, for them to hang tough. All right, Ravens-Patriots, a Sunday night game. So this game, a lot of people are saying, like, basically Lamar Jackson is, you know, holding Baltimore back. And in some ways for this season, that was could I could see that argument be made. But last night, Lamar as a passer was really, he was really good. I think he had one of his best games of 2020 in terms of just pure passing the football. He was good against the – and I didn't think they could do that to the Patriots. I didn't think – they could hurt them in terms of just dropping back to pass like they did. Now, that being said, I still would have liked to see them run the ball a lot more because the Patriots have not shown all season long that they can stop the run. And Baltimore just didn't even, I mean, they, they didn't run the ball as much as I thought they would. You know, I thought, I honestly believe that they would run the ball maybe 50 times in this game. And not all of it from Lamar Jackson either. Like I think that J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, you could have just really cranked up your, your running backs and got it going because on the drives they did have, you saw the running game was going, especially with the running backs. Like the, the Patriots had a good plan for how to kind of corral Lamar Jackson when he ran, even though obviously he still ran effectively. But <clears throat> I mean, it just, to me, it's just kind of shocking that you would take that approach against the Patriots when it's like, look, New England's strong suit on defense is defending the pass. And you guys decided that they're clearly much weaker at defending the run. And you let them off the hook a little bit, right? And I think that when you look at the Patriots, the Patriots did not let Baltimore off the hook. Baltimore's built in a similar way in terms of in that they can, they're really hard to pass the ball against, but they are vulnerable against the run. Entering this game, they allowed four and a half yards per carry. So what did New England do? And New England ran the ball 39 times, passed it 18. You know what I mean? That's literally over two to one pass to uh, run to pass ratio. And New England understands who they are. They are an offense with limited weapons. Like they don't have a ton of weapons, especially with Julian Edelman out. And their offensive line is a, a bunch of mauling dudes in the run game, but they're not great in terms of pass protection. So they don't ask Cam Newton to drop back 40 times knowing that they have they would have a much better chance of, of success to just run at you and try and run over you. So I think that is a, a, a team that really knows itself. And for those of you that were ready to count out Bill Belichick after a, you know a, a slow start to a season, a COVID-19 season where he, where he literally signed his quarterback a month before the season started, you, be very careful because right now the Patriots are in striking distance. They're they, – uh, they're dangerous right now. Four and five team. I think they play Houston next week. And if they do that, you know, that's a that's to me a very good chance to go five and five. So New England is by no means out of it. The Ravens might be inching closer and closer towards being out of the AFC North, but they're they're very much still alive in the playoff mix, of course. And I think they'll ultimately get there. But I think as a Ravens fan, you have to be you have to be optimistic from what you saw from Lamar Jackson last night as he was really in the rain in, in bad weather conditions on the road against a good pass defense he was able to have success passing the ball pretty much consistently he made obviously the one mistake late but overall I think you should be excited with what you saw saw from Lamar Jackson but I just think you need to get back to just like 
punishing teams on the ground, like make them defend every every blade of grass, um, especially when you run the ball. Like, I mean, there so many ways they could hurt you as as a running team, and, and Greg Roman needs to get back to that. Use all the backs. Use Gus Edwards. Use Mark Ingram. Use J.K. Dobbins. Get J.K. Dobbins the damn ball. And use Lamar as a runner. But I think that you can take some pressure off Lamar by using more of the running backs in the running game. I think that would be something that is uh, – I look forward to them doing as the season progresses. I think J.K. Dobbins will have an increased role. Even Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards will all have increased roles. Maybe Lamar, you know, runs the ball. Definitely you want to use that option, but you don't have to do it. I think more, I think run them six to eight times a game. And then if you, if you can't run the ball with the running backs, then use Lamar a little bit more in games like that. So anyways, I think the Ravens will be fine moving forward. And uh, I'm very excited to see what happens with the Patriots. So. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, do me a favor, share it and or leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. So, all right, guys, appreciate you. I'm out.